engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 258. And today, I'm sharing the story of my hunt for the buck known as Frank, the largest buck I've ever had the privilege of hunting. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And I I don't know, um, what am I trying to say? I guess I don't have the right words to describe um, how excited I am for this one. It's a story I'm excited to share. Um, and we'll get right to it because I've had a lot of people want to know, like, when are you going to tell the story? When are you going to tell the story? So we're going to finally tell the story. Um, I got Spencer here with me. I got Dan here with me to help break down the story of my hunt for Frank. And um, I gotta, I gotta apologize, right? Dan and Spencer, you knew this, but I was was kind of playing it low key on this buck. Um, but but now we can tell the full the full story, right, Dan? Yeah. Well, the first thing you need to do, I feel is tell everybody why you kept this all low-key. Well, there's this buck that I was hunting this year, and he was not normal for where I hunt, very abnormal for where I hunt. And I was just, when this buck showed up, it was the kind of deer that would would gain a lot of attention. And I was kind of thinking, you know what? I don't need any extra added attention to what's happening here or any extra pressure on me uh, with this hunt. I was kind of like, you know what? I don't want to jinx anything. I don't want to, you know, I just felt like I should just kind of hunt, just try to take care of the hunt myself without all the other stuff going on. And, and then if it all came together or whenever it all, you know, one way or another, whenever it concluded, I, I would talk about some of the details and stuff. Um, and, and now I'm very, very fortunate that I can actually now share everything without needing to worry at all because it came together the way I wanted it to. But, uh, but yeah, man, this, this, this buck Frank, um, was like a once in a lifetime, probably buck in Michigan. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll 
I'll break that down a little more maybe once we get into the story. But this buck is is, is really big for where I hunt. Right. He's not he's not once in a lifetime maybe in Michigan, but he's a once in a lifetime deer anywhere. Yeah, that I think white tails. I think for most people, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, he's 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 big. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like blow your mind, like holy shit, big. Um, the kind of this is the biggest deer I've ever seen while deer hunting in my life, and um, I've seen maybe only two other deer bigger during the summer. Like I've been on some summer scouting trips, you know, in glass and bean fields, and I've seen a buck that was bigger in Iowa once, and I saw a buck that was probably bigger than this or right in that ballpark in Ohio once. Um, otherwise this is probably the biggest deer. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very unexpected. Like th- these deer do not, they're not around where I hunt. <laughs> so I, I feel like I was kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe Dan, you know, somehow I, you rubbed off like your Iowa good luck on me. And, and <laughs> one of those deer snuck over the border to Michigan. Cause that's what it felt like. <laughs> So he was he was a seeker to the wired hunt community, but what about to like the other hunters in your area? Did people know about this deer? So that's a good question. I don't know. I wondered about that. I, I have a hard time believing that he was a complete secret. Um, but I'm not like terribly tapped into the local community. Um, I know some of my neighbors, but I, but most of them aren't deer hunters. Um, the couple deer hunters I do know weren't weren't really aware of him there was one who was um a friend of mine around here actually texted me one night and he's like dude i i just nearly hit a giant driving my truck past the property that you hunt <laughs> i'm like oh really <laughs> um that's interesting and I, I believe it was probably the same deer um but- i think there actually he was well known because I was reading through some of the comments on your Instagram page. And it sounds to me like there's a group of guys who were very familiar with this deer. Really? Yep. Yep. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. So I think they called him Frankenstein. Oh, that's what we called him. Hmm. That's what we called. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a jackass. Continue. (laughs) Well, see, you say Frank. And there was other people posting about Frankenstein, so I thought it was two different, two different deer. Yeah. Oh well, no. So so Frank is short for Frankenstein. Well, so I, I got that. Yeah. So we should we should just <laughs> <laughs> what we should probably do is just rewind to the very beginning of the story, and then okay. and then we'll work our way through it with with the added context now that I can add to the story. So gotcha. So Frank first showed up when he first showed up. He was an unnamed buck because this happened in 2016. So the season 2016 was that year I was hunting Holyfield, chasing them all over the place, um, that I was seeing Holyfield all the time. This is the year that I almost got a shot at him at 40 yards, but couldn't quite see him in my pins, so I didn't take the shot, and then decided at the end of the season in December, you know what, I don't want to shoot this deer anymore. I want to give him one more year. So I passed on Holyfield um, during muzzleloader season and, and you know, had him around there a bunch during that time period. In that, I was getting pictures, and I had that encounter with Holyfield in that kind of food plot system that I've talked about a lot that I've created here on the front side of this property that I got permission on. Well, on December, it was December 9th, I think, 
of 2016, I got a picture of this buck. I'm like, man, that's a nice 10-pointer. I'd never seen him before, never gotten pictures of him before. I got one picture of him in that food plot system, and then a couple hours later, I got another picture of him maybe about 150, 200 yards away on another camera. It was the only time that buck showed up. I was thinking he's probably like a, he definitely looked like a three-year-old, and he may be like the 125, 130 class type three-and-a-half-year-old. So I was like, wow, that's that's a nice buck. Nice, probably a bigger deer than Holyfield even was that year, maybe, or in that ballpark. But um, just kind of a random show-up type deal. It was cool, but never saw any more pictures of him, never, you know, nothing more from him. Didn't think a whole lot more about that deer. The off-season comes and goes. Um, it's shed hunting season now. It's shed hunting season of 2017, and my number one goal is to try to find the shed from Holyfield. So I'm shed hunting all over the place, hiked and hiked and hiked, put a ton of miles on the boots, no luck. Um, got permission on a lot of different properties in the general area to shed hunt too, and on one of those different properties that I had permission on, I found I saw a really nice shed sitting in some tall grass, and I'm like, holy crap, that's Holyfield shed. I go running over there, pick it up, and it's not Holyfield shed. It's a different buck. I'm like, geez, this is a really nice shed. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, my like, God, do I know this buck? Like, I, I, I mean, first thing, first thought, no, I don't, because the only big, decently large buck was Holyfield that I've been seeing and hunting. But then when I got to thinking about, it, I was like, this kind of looks like that buck I got a picture of. And I went back, looked at the trail camera pictures enough, and sure enough, it was that same buck I got pictures of on December 9th or 10th or whatever that day was. So, found the shed, got one set of pictures of this deer. Cool, but still, you know, I didn't have a whole lot going for me. Now we get into the summer. It's the summer of 2017. I'm really hoping. How big was he? How big was he in 2016, you think? I thought Give maybe like, like 125, 130, something like that. As a 10. As a 10-pointer, as a three-and-a-half-year-old 10, yeah. Gotcha, okay. Um, and and how, like, how deep into the neighbor's property was he? When you found that shed, did it seem realistic that this buck could someday, like, be a regular at your place? Um, it was definitely realistic that that's the kind of buck that could pass by my property that I could hunt. Um, it wasn't so far away that it'd be like impossible. He, I mean, it certainly was in the realm of possibility he could show up, but the fact that he hadn't shown up except for one day on the property I could hunt made me think it was unlikely. Like I, this property that I hunt, I almost never, ever get random bucks. Like it's always, there's the bucks I get on camera starting in September and those are the same deer I see the entire year. I never get rut bucks that show up by surprise. I never get bucks that mysteriously show up in late season. It's always the same deer. I uh, just that's how it's always been on this on the spot. So, given the fact that I had not seen this buck that season in 2016 or as a 2-year-old in 2015, I just never really he never really entered my thoughts as like, oh, I might be able to hunt him. Knew there's like a possibility, but it wasn't like a realistic thing. I was like, oh, I really hope this deer's gonna be around a bunch. Didn't really think it happened. So, takes me to 2016 again, or no, sorry, 2017. And again, it's all Holyfield, right? If you guys remember last year, it was all about putting the plan together for Holyfield. He was my number one buck. Everything was revolving around this deer. Who's that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and a neighbor of mine had let me know like this this uh this woman knows that i'm a big deer hunter and she happened to say hey i've been seeing a whole lot of deer in uh, the field across from my house including some like nice bucks like you should come and like sit in my driveway and look at these deer someday so i go drive down the road to where this property is that this lady um is on and um i go pull into her driveway 
and I sit there for the evening. This is maybe, I don't know, sometime in July, I would guess, maybe 2017. And a whole bunch of deer are piling out into this bean field and eventually some bucks. And then finally like this mega buck pops out like a really big Michigan buck. And I actually, I'm pretty sure I posted a video of this on Instagram. I think last summer, I guess it would have been. And I'm looking at this buck. I'm like, I don't know this buck. Like this is a big deer. This is like one of the biggest deer I've ever seen around here. Can't believe this deer is in the general vicinity of, uh, of where I can hunt. Um, and at first I was hoping it's going to be Holyfield, but as I'm looking at him, I'm like, there's, I don't think there's any way that could be Holyfield just to not look like him at all. Even if he, had, even if Holyfield had blown up and like add some character points or something, um, I just, this did not look like him at all. So I'm like, geez, this is like some different random buck, really nice. Um, not too far away from where I can hunt. And that was exciting. So I saw that deer twice. Um, I think it was July, July or August. I can't remember. Saw him twice, but then the season starts and I start getting pictures of Holyfield, start getting pictures of some other deer, but this random buck, nothing. Um, so as the season progressed, I kind of just forgot about that deer altogether. Um, didn't think anything of that deer again until December, late December. Holyfield has disappeared. You know, I had my chance in November. It didn't work out. Now it's December. I've shifted over to Doe Patrol because I haven't seen or gotten pictures or anything of Holyfield in like almost, I don't know what it was four weeks or something finally had to try to kill some does in this place so me and Furter are on doe patrol we're sitting in the um i got this box blind we're sitting in this box blind together trying to shoot a couple does maybe it's like december 27th or 28th or somewhere in that ballpark and i remember looking down this long um opening and a bunch of deer start filing through it and they're kind of like jogging, like something that spooked him, it seemed like. And I see a couple does and then a couple little bucks. And the little buck stops and turns around looks behind him. And then all of a sudden, this colossus mystery buck comes walking out. And I'm like, Furter, look at this thing. Holy shit. And um, it's this, this giant deer, the biggest deer I'd ever seen in Michigan. Um, and it's on, a, it's on the property I can hunt. And it was like unbelievable. And we talked about this deer on the podcast, Dan. I don't, I don't know if you remember, but I was like, I was calling him the mystery buck. Do you remember that? Yep. Yeah, so the mystery buck showed up, walked through this opening, and disappeared. He was a couple hundred yards away, though, maybe like three or four hundred yards away, something like that. Passes through, disappears, and that was that. Super exciting, but, uh, you know, just a quick thing. I, I checked cameras the next day or something, hoping maybe he'd been around. Nothing, no pictures of him. Um, I hunted the rest of the season, hoping to maybe see him. I was bringing my bow along with me just in case that buck showed up again. Nothing. Continued rolling cameras through the rest of the winter. No pictures. That takes me, though, to I think it was late January, maybe, give or take, somewhere around that place. And, again, I'm out in the vicinity of this property. I'm always, you know, checking this place out, always looking around. In the summer, I'm glassing the fields. In the winter, I'm glassing fields, trying to see where these bucks are, trying to know where I should shed hunt. And I get to a cut cornfield in the general area. And there's a bunch of deer feeding out in this cut cornfield. And I pull up the binos on this group of deer and a deer picks up picks up his head and it's a giant missing an antler though just once he's got one antler but it's a huge five point side like and, it, and right away i was like oh my gosh that's the buck that's the mystery buck and it's it's a it's it's in it's relatively close to that same property that same area where i saw him in december so i got some video of him then now i'm thinking okay this is the that interestingly was actually right near where i found the shed too so now I'm starting to put some pieces together. I'm realizing, okay, the mystery buck 
is the same buck that I got the shed from from the spring of 2017. And then when I looked at the video from the January 2018 video, I connected that to the video of the summer 2017. I'm like, this is that same buck. Now he's shown up on two different properties that I can't hunt and the one property that I can hunt. Um, but it's all kind of spread out. Like it's, it's a wide area. This isn't all concentrated in one little spot. There's kind of a wide area that I've been seeing. How many miles? Day. How many miles are you thinking? Mm, not that wide. Like this is within like a two square mile area maybe. Okay. And that's spring of 2008, or like it's late winter, early, I don't know, late January, early February, whatever you call that. <laughs> and I'd seen that he lost one antler. So now I'm like, okay, I'm going to shed hunt like crazy to find this deer's antlers. Cause this is the biggest deer that I've ever been able to, to shed hunt around, or at least in Michigan, biggest deer that's ever been around this spot that I can hunt. Um, so I thought, all right, I'm going to wait a week and then, or wait a couple days and keep glass in this field and hopefully see this big body deer out there again without his antler. No, they're both dropped. And then just scour that whole area. So I do that. And long story short, I never found his sheds. I walked and walked and walked and walked. Walked every property I could get permission on around there, hoping to either find sign of Holyfield being still alive or um, finding this buck's sheds. No such luck. Moving on into the summer, I'm again hoping that Holyfield's alive because I did find one of his antlers. Um, but driving around in the summer, never, never saw either one of these deer, didn't know what to expect. You know, September rolls around. I still don't have pictures of Holyfield. I still don't have pictures of, of this other deer. So again, I'm kind of thinking, man, I don't know what I'm going to hunt this year here. Um, you know, as we talked about in the podcast, I was kind of bumming. There was a couple three-year-olds, but I wasn't going to target one of them this year. So I kind of was at the point thinking that, you know, I'm just not going to shoot a buck on this on this property. I have permission here. I'm probably just going to shoot does. There just isn't a buck to hunt, um, and I I didn't want to you know shoot one of those three year olds. So that was kind of where things were until Halloween. And I, I told this story you know a month ago or a few weeks ago a little bit, um, but I I left out the details about the buck. So I'll cover it again briefly. Basically, right Halloween, I got word that this giant buck had been seen on this property um that i could hunt my wife decided to call him frankenstein so i started calling him frank for short um and then i got home two days later from the meetings i was at in montana and i could start hunting on november 2nd so november 2nd i'm gonna hunt this front area where the buck was seen and i don't see anything that morning don't see anything that night so i'm like ah you know what he's probably gone like at, at this point i realized it's that same deer um, it's that same big buck cause I had some video footage of him I could look at. And, um, I, I just assumed though, all right, he showed up. This is the first time that buck's ever shown up on my property during the rut. He probably, you know, he's got a core area somewhere on one of these neighbors. He hopped and he happened to find a hot doe and that hot doe brought him on the farm I can hunt. And he was there locked onto her for a day or two. He's probably back to wherever, you know, he lived usually. So I figured since I didn't see anything on the second, I'm thinking, man, that was it. Like there's a once in a lifetime buck here on the property I can hunt. And of course I'm in Montana, you know, um, what's funny is I was, uh, I was in meetings with the guys here at Mediator, And then I get a text message from my wife with this like cell phone video that she'd shot of this deer. Cause she, she saw this deer out in this field and she sent me a video clip that she took. And, um, I look at this video, I'm like, holy, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I 
just like yelled out in the middle of a meeting I'm in with these guys. I'm like, oh my God, look at this. This is on a place I can hunt. And I'm out here. It was crazy. And I was very stressed out because I was not there. Um, and it was, you know, you know how that is. I mean, if that buck showed up and you're not there and you know it's this time of year that they can just show up for a day or two and be gone. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is never going to happen again. I'm going to show up and he's gone. And that was it. Um, and so that's what I thought would happen. So, so when, when you got these, when you got these pictures of this buck making an appearance on your property and you get back from Montana and you start to, you know, hunt him, what was your initial thought process as how you were going to intercept this buck, what he was doing as far as using your property? So I knew very little, right? I mean, I had no pictures of him. I'd never seen him on the property I could hunt except for that one random pass through. So the only intel I had to work off of was this kind of from the road sighting my wife had of this deer walking along the edge of a bean field. Um, that was it. So I, I just took that okay, that's where he was seen. And he was kind of cruising along the edge of that food plot system that I've talked about the same food plot system where I got his picture in 2016. And then, you know, no, so now he's been seen kind of cruising through there and he was, um, in the general area. I think I'm trying to remember if it was, if he was with the doe at the, in the, in the very beginning of was it, I don't know, but it, it was either he was sighted by himself and then he bumped, it was chasing a doe or something. I, I guess I, it's all like a blur to me at this point. But long story short, <laughs> the base I just remember thinking like he's got to be with a doe. He was chasing does around. He's likely with a doe, and he was seen with that doe in this general area. So that general area, I had prepared to hunt Holyfield. You know, all these different encounters I'd had with Holyfield, many of them were right in the same general vicinity. Right, I've got I had a bail blind set up there to hunt that area with the south wind or southwest type winds or easterly winds. I had a tree stand that's kind of in the middle of the complex that's there situated for northerly winds or different things. And I got a box blind that's on the far south side of that complex that's used for gun season, like muzzleloader season. Usually I shoot does from that. So I had a couple different options. So I thought, all right, I'm going to hunt in this little area in the safest place from a wind perspective on that first day and hopefully learn something, see something. Because that wind I had, if I remember right, it was kind of a westerly wind, and it's really hard to hunt in this part of the property with any kind of westerly wind because the the food is all on the east side, or sorry, the food is all on the west side. That's where I can hunt. But all the good bedding is on the east side where I can't hunt. So there's just one little gap. There's like an open stretch here. It's like a power line type thing. Not a type thing, it's a power line. <laughs> and um, the I can blow my wind down that power line, power line and avoid blowing out the bedding areas. So basically I got set up there. Um, no, now I'm mixing my days up, man. I'm losing my mind here, guys. I don't even remember where I, I think I hunt. Maybe I did hunt there. I don't even remember where I hunt on the second now, but that's where I hunted the third. <laughs> I don't know why I can't remember this, but I hunted up in that general area on the second. Maybe I hunted the tree stand. I don't know or the, the food plot stand, but I hunted that area on the second, um, thinking I'd see him. And, um, and that didn't At work out. At one point out. you were telling me you were, you were hunting over a, a scrape that was pretty active. I, if I remember correctly. No, 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 I don't know. 
I don't know what, what why I can't remember all this stuff. Did you even shoot a deer, or is this <laughs> yeah. is this all pretend? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> that, now I'm blacking out. But what I do remember is that I didn't see him in the second, but I, I went back to the same general area on the evening of the third. And gotcha. I do know that on the evening of the third, because of that westerly wind issue that I was telling you about, I had to set up in my saddle. I snuck in there with sticks and my saddle and set up in the timber, there's a little strip of timber that's just south of that food plot complex. And I could set up my saddle there and be able to see into that system, these couple little fields, um, but also see back into some of the cover while not blowing out that area. And I thought this is the closest I can get to where I, I think he'll come through. And as I told you guys three weeks ago or whenever it was that I told the first story about him, uh, he ends up coming out behind a doe at, uh, I don't know, like an hour before dark comes out with that doe right and i told you guys about how he's out there like 70 yards i try to grunt to him eventually he doesn't he eventually stays with that doe breeds that doe in front of me so you know what happened there but just now layer on top of that the fact that this buck is a five and a half year old he's the biggest body deer i've ever seen in my life um at least at least one of the one of the biggest body deers deer that at least i've ever hunted um that deer jawbreaker that i hunted a number of years ago he was very big bodied but this deer i just remember thinking it was a cow just huge body and then i mean just a really 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 big 10 pointer um boone and crockett type caliber buck is what i'm thinking when i'm seeing this deer like there's there's i feel like when it comes to deer you can just tell like Oh yeah, that's a booner. Like that kind of buck that just is like head and shoulders frame wise bigger than anything else you ever see. There's usually that kind of like, oh wow, shock that you get when you see a deer like that. That's what I got with this deer. Um, Mark, how many deer in Michigan have you seen that would like go over 150 or go over 160? Like, can you count the exact number of deer that size that you've seen? Yeah, I can. Um, that I've seen in person, right? myself yeah um two maybe all time over um, 150 or over 160 over 160 one of those deer being well no i can think of uh one two two three maybe three bucks over 150 that i've ever seen ever in michigan and these are all in the summer deer feeding in bean fields um, and Dan, then, how many deer did you see yesterday over <laughs> in Iowa? Thirty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. And so that's that's what it was. That that's what was going through my mind. This entire experience was just like this isn't going to happen again. Like this is this unreal. Like it's like I had like as you just said to me, Dan. Like, did this even happen? Or are you just like making it up? Like that was what was going in my head. Like this can't possibly be real. I can't be looking at a buck like this right now in Michigan on this little property that I'm hunting. This property I hunt, and we've talked about it before, it's 90 acres, but like 50 of that is open field. So there's only 40 acres that are huntable. And of that, a lot of it is just like little fence row type stuff. I mean, this is not the kind of place you would expect to see a buck like that. Um... And I never have, like, right? I mean, if you look back at all my years hunting in this spot, as some of these stories I've told, I like the, the Holyfield stuff. I mean, you know, even when there is an old deer running around, they're usually like 120, 125. Like, there just has not, this is not a spot that typically is producing large antler deer. The genetics just aren't great. There's not a whole lot of deer that get old. Any given year, 
I think if I think back to every year that I've hunted this spot or any of the neighboring areas, there's only ever one mature buck, if if any. Some years there's just nothing. Um, some years there's a three-year-old or a four-year-old. Um, but there's never been any kind of giant like this to hunt. Um, so feel, this was new. Do you feel that the absence of Holyfield as a mature buck created a power vacuum for this buck to step in and claim a, claim, uh, I guess a good territory. That's one of the theories. That's one of the theories, or it might be the flip, which some people have like messaged me about might have the presence of this buck pushed Holyfield out. Maybe Holyfield right. actually is alive, but, uh, he's on the decline and this deer started hanging out more in the area and kind of nudged Holyfield out of the area he was in. Um, I think it's more likely the what you proposed, Dan. I think it's more likely that Holyfield probably um, probably died from an injury or winter or something. And I think that this buck lived somewhere in the general vicinity. And I think that maybe he caught a doe, caught wind of a doe, and ended up hanging out around this area. And then he bumped into another doe that was hot. And I think that maybe that all of a sudden he realized that, Whoa, this is a pretty nice spot. There's not a whole lot of hunting pressure. There's some good food. There's some good cover. There's lots of ladies. Um, I want to hang out here more. And that's kind of what seemed to happen because, you know, I thought he was going to be there for a day or two, but he wasn't right. I had that close call with him on the third when he bred the doe. I had the next morning where I hunted for him. And that was the poop blind morning. Remember that one? The poop so, blind. Yeah, the How poop blind. How can we forget? <laughs> so, so think about that story. Think about what I told you. <laughs> I had to have an emergency number two inside of my hay bale blind, and I was doing that while watching a booner-type buck in front of me while crab-walking my way in the hay bale blind. That happened to me, Dan. Man, I can't <laughs> wait till I can't wait till your kid hears that story, and he's going to just, I mean, like, it's one Mark, of the, one of the kind. <laughs> you are becoming you're you're quickly becoming somebody in the hunting industry, and to have this story out, I mean, it is that's big time. The that's fact big time. I, I'm becoming someone in the hunting industry because I poop while watching a booner. <laughs> yeah, it's just relatable because I bet you there's a lot of people that are listening to this right now or listen and follow you are just like, you know what? I used to think Mark Kenyon was a huge sellout only in it for the fame. But <laughs> when he can come on air and he can say, listen, I poop in my blind, just like everybody else does. <laughs> just like everybody else. Do you just think like everybody else? Do you does. think everybody else poops in their blinds? <laughs> Spencer, do you poop in your blinds? <laughs> Uh, I only hunt out a tree stand, so I'll, I'll poop out of a tree stand. <laughs> Hashtag sky dump. Hashtag sky dump. <laughs> Hashtag poop blind. That's right. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I wondered, I wondered, like, am I having this attack because, like, I'm so nervous because this mega giant is coming towards me? Like, I got to hold it together. <laughs> right. Oh, but, uh, but, yeah, so that whole thing happened. And if you're not That's familiar. Sort of like a, a really wide range of competence. Like, I think you were just setting yourself up. You knew you were going to kill that buck. Yeah. So <laughs> you'd be like, you set the bar super low with your whole audience. And <laughs> bam, Boone and Crockett buck. Yeah, I've, I've been doing that for about 10 years here with Wired Hunt, setting a very low bar. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so that whole thing happened. And if for some reason you are listening to this podcast and you didn't hear the poop blind story, or this whole story of this buck of Frank, um, 
you should probably go back a couple episodes. Dan, do you remember what episode it was when we talked about that? I think it was the Heartland Bowhunter episode. I think the first half of it. Yeah, the first yeah. half of it, you and me talked about this buck and my, you know, my November hunts, and I think the second half was with uh, Heartland Bowhunter. So, so in that episode, I go through the details, like all the details of these encounters. I don't want to rehash everything. Um, so listen to that, then come back to this. Know that this whole poop blind story happened with this really big buck in front of me, um, and that kind of co- I think it colors things a little bit differently. Um, I can't tell you how difficult it was and how much I battled back and forth inside my head. Like, is this something that you share? Or is this something you don't share? You know, because, um, I usually share everything, right. As far as my hunts and everything. And I video everything and I'm sharing pictures and I'm sharing screenshots and I'm telling about everything. I mean, I'm, I'm very, 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 very transparent. I tell you when I poop in my blind, I don't know if most people would tell that story. <laughs> well, I'm just glad that you decided not to you know, do pictures with that story and just, we'll, we'll, we'll trust you on the poop line story. story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So I didn't share pictures of that either, but, but you know, usually everything I do, I I share. And I was like, I didn't know what to do with this deer. I was like, I just, this deer was like, just, it was like a different level. And I just kept thinking, man, this is just the kind of thing that it would just be like, too much like stress I felt like if I put it out there right now I was already freaking out enough as it was that this deer was running around let alone if like the whole world knew about it and everyone was yeah. you know just commenting on it and you know added hunting pressure all around you just all that kind of stuff was stuff I was thinking about and just wondering like maybe this is one of those stories you tell after the season um is kind of what I started did, thinking did anything with your experience with Holyfield like change how you handled Frank. I mean, for example, Holyfield was so famous. He had his own Instagram account. Everybody (laughs) knew about him. Like, did that change anything for how, you know, you addressed Frank to your wired hunt audience? Yeah. I want to make it clear that I did not create an Instagram account for Holyfield. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody else created an Instagram for Holyfield, which was pretty funny. Um, Damn. Yeah, is that you, Dan? <laughs> no, um, but but yeah, it did color it a little bit because yeah, right. I talked about this buck so much. A lot of people knew about this buck. I had people that I didn't know hunted around me um, reach out and say like, "Hey, I knew I saw this buck," or "I've been looking for this buck," or "Oh, is this where that buck is?" or "Hey, I saw Holyfield down the road," or like people stopping at my house and telling me about Holyfield. People I didn't know. Um, so all of that has just made me, you know, just try to like think like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain level of privacy that any normal person would like to have, right? And I mean, I did the same thing this year, dude. So, I, I mean, I, I think everybody understands what why you didn't post pictures of this deer. Yeah, and I mean, you know. It just, it's like a case by case thing. Like I'd like to share as much as I possibly can, but sometimes I think maybe, you know, there's some things that, that, you know, as a hunter or as a person, you're just going to keep to yourself for a little bit. So this is one of those things that I thought, you know what, I'll keep this one close. I'll I'll just kind of, I'll just try to hunt this deer without it being out there and just see what happens. And I think it was probably the right call. I think it kind of kept the pressure a little bit lower. I mean, I I put a lot, like I stress, I mean, anyone listening to this show knows, as you've heard me kind of like stream of thought talk all the time about how I hunt and the things that go on. Anyone that listens to this knows that like I overstress, I overanalyze, I get really worked up about this stuff. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, 
So with this deer, like there was already enough of that just in my mind thinking, okay, there's this once in a lifetime buck. And it, it was enough just that, let alone if I had like everyone knowing about it and following it and all that kind of stuff. So I think I'm glad that I, that I stuck to that decision because it made it, it made it, it was also a little bit fun just to like be able to talk about this deer with a couple of close friends and bounce back and forth without, you know, just everything else kind of going on around. So there's, well, I also like the fact that it, this, it becomes more about the story and not the antlers, right? Because we're, you know, as hunters, we all dive into how big the, the antlers is. But if you take that out of the equation, you really start to follow along with the strategy. You follow along with what you were doing, what the deer was doing, and the overall story, and not just the ending, which is, hey, this is a, you know, close to a Boone and Crockett deer. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was it was a mature buck, and I wouldn't have hunted him any differently if you know whether he was a hundred and twenty inch buck or hundred and seventy inch buck. I would have hunted the same way, given that he was five and a half. Uh, I'd yep. be still trying to kill him, but it just you know it was just something that I had not I had not experienced this. I've never been able to hunt a Boone and Crockett type buck in my life before like this. So it was new for me, new for everything. So uh, so yeah. I mean, it was just kind of high intensity. It was a really intense week there in early November when I was having all these encounters. Had the, had the the night when he came out with the doe, bred the doe. Had the next morning with the poop blind. Had the next, had that next night when I had to shift spots because of wind. And then he came out past the poop blind again, but not within range of the turkey stand I was hunting in. And I had to watch that happen and chase does around. And he he went downwind of the poop blind and didn't seem to be bothered by that at all. So I thought, damn, I did a good job of burying all that. So I felt good about that. <laughs> um, and then the next day I did a running gun setup deep into this little thicket where he'd been with a doe that morning. And then that night before where he took that doe snuck in there, did a really long roundabout way to get in there without, you know, if I, I kind of based my plan on the assumption that he's going to be back in that thicket with that doe, locked on with her again. So I, I, I just said, all right, that's, that's where he is. I just had to, like, that was my assumption, and I decided to operate as if that was the truth. That's where he is. So if he's there, and with the wind direction we have and the access routes I have into this property, I had to go way to the far southern border of this property and do a huge, wrapping, long roundabout walk like two hours before daylight to try to get on the backside of that where I was hoping they'd transition back to the main area where I thought they were in a bed. And it worked out almost exactly like I was hoping it would. I got set up in there with my saddle and at first light, here he comes walking right towards me and he's raking a tree and he's flying like there's grass and long like branches like flying up in the air over his shoulders and he's got tall grass on his in his antlers and it was just like the coolest thing i ever saw and he's walking right towards me he's like 85 yards 80 yards 75 yards 70 yards i'm like holy shit this is gonna happen really excited i got my bow in my hand and then that dose pops out and she goes running the other direction he follows her and he goes walking by the poop blind again and uh in my head i'm thinking geez oh pete if i'd been if i just had sat in that same blind for the all these no i i thought that in my head like if i just stayed there I would have had him go past me three different times or two different times or something like that. But yeah, three, but the issue was the wind. I can never hunt there with that wind direction. It's a really tough spot to hunt without blowing out this entire bedding area. So I had those early November encounters, like, like a four day period or whatever it was, four or five days or something. And, uh, and then I had to leave. If you remember, Dan, I had to leave for that meat eater hunt. Yep. So left for a week was all stressed out that he was going to be around there and I'm not hunting him and going to miss out my opportunity. But when I came back, 
Um, I had no pictures of him anywhere on this property. So it was like he vanished. And I kind of was like, well, that was it. Until, no, I take that back. As I'm clicking through all the pictures, that's what I'm thinking. And then I get to the last day of the last camera card I look at. And that morning, so the morning of the day that I went to go check the cameras, I got one set of pictures of him that morning, like a half hour before daylight. So I'm like, holy crap, he's back. This is the only picture I had of him from that whole time period while I was gone. And he's back that morning I got back to hunt that area. So now I'm excited. And I hunt the next three, four days in that area into gun season a little bit. And nothing, no more sightings, no more pictures. Um, I remember sitting out there on opening day, gun season. I'm hearing all these gunshots all around me. I'm just thinking, man, he's probably dead. Like, that's probably it, you know. I had to keep telling myself, you know, that I was really lucky and fortunate just to have had those encounters. Like, that's that's the thing I kept trying to remind myself every day during that series of days where I was seeing him and not quite getting it done. There was, like, that that reptilian part of my brain or, like, the, the, the... the initial reaction part of me, like the emotional side of me, that's like son of a gun. You had you you almost had an opportunity, didn't come together, or you didn't make quite the right choice, or whatever, and he slipped through your fingers, and you're never gonna see that buck again, once in a lifetime buck. But then, half hour later, in my head, I'm thinking, man, you just got to appreciate it. You just need to appreciate the fact you got to like you've never had a, an encounter like that ever. You've never been able to sit and watch a deer like that. How cool is it just to see a deer like that, especially here in Michigan? Um, so I kept trying to like tell myself that, like just appreciate that experience. So during gun season, were you hunting with a gun or were you still hunting with a bow? I hunted with a gun uh, opening day and the second day. I think the first two days I hunted with a gun, and then after not seeing him and not getting any pictures or anything, I was like, you know what? I don't know. I just I was I kind of decided I was going to bail out of that and just keep tabs on things, but I didn't want to overpressure it. If he was still around there. Uh, at that point, I thought, you know, if he's still around, I should just lay out of here and, and just see what happens. Because obviously he's not moving in daylight. I was sitting in some spots where I would have thought I might have seen him if he was still doing something like he was doing. Um, I wasn't going to go push into like these. There's like one and eh, yeah, there's like one spot I can hunt that's kind of like good security cover. And I usually just leave that as like a sanctuary. Um, I definitely wouldn't want to push in there during gun season because there's neighbors that hunt like all, all edges of it. Um, so I definitely didn't want to push in there. So I thought, well, maybe if he is alive, he's either holed up in that spot and I definitely don't want to push him out of there cause he'll get blasted right away. Um, or he's, there's some other little dark hidey hole that he stays in that has allowed him to live through, you know, four previous gun seasons. Um, it's unlikely that he's going to screw up here his fifth year. Um, so he's either dead or he's in the hidey hole and that's just what it is. So my game plan then from that standpoint was to stay out and just observe as many nights as I could get out there where I could just sit and glass from a long distance. I would do that and I would check cameras a little bit more often. Um, but in a safe kind of way. So I don't spook it, drive in there with a truck or four wheeler, check cameras and try to monitor. Um, but I just didn't, it didn't seem like he was like going to be a consistent buck. It seemed like he was here for that five day stretch with that doe. And then he showed up, you know, what was it? He showed up a week later, one camera, one second, you know, with one set of pictures. And, you know, maybe maybe if I'm lucky, he might drop in a couple more times the rest of the year. But based off of history, I did not expect him to be consistent in any kind of, in any kind of way. So that, that took me through November. So I got the one picture of him on the 13th or 14th or whatever it was, um, and then nothing. 
until I checked cameras again late in November. And I think it was November 28th, maybe. And checked cameras that day and looked at pictures. And interestingly, it was the same kind of scenario. Of all the cards I checked, no pictures of him, no pictures of him, no pictures of him. I get to the last card that I'm checking, and the last set of pictures of that card from that like middle of the night the night before, there he is again. So he's alive still. It's almost the end of gun season. He's still alive, and he's still passing through the property. Um, but it's, it wasn't in daylight or anything. But that got me really excited again. So I went out, hunted that next day. Didn't see anything, um, and then I had to go up to my northern Michigan property for a few days. So I went and did that hunt, and all the while just thinking, well, you know, he's alive. He, if he made it to the 28th or 29th of November, he's, he made it through gun season pretty much. Um, so now I'm thinking in my head, well, there's a chance. You know, I didn't really feel particularly strong about my late season chances with this deer um, because, you know, he never had been a consistent buck in the late seasons in the past. But, but the, the one picture that I got of him in previous years was December 9th in that food plot system and 2016. And then the one sighting that I had on this property of him was in December of 2017, late December though. So I knew it was like in the past, he has passed through in here in December. So I knew like there was this chance in my head though. I was thinking, man, it's just like, I'm going to have to get lucky. Like he's not here consistently. So maybe let's say. Maybe he's going to be here two days or three days or something like that randomly. I have no idea how to pick which one of those days it's going to be. Like, how am I going to know? I don't know. Um, so in my head, again, my plan was just keep observing as much as possible. Check trail cameras when you can. And anytime you get a picture of him or you see him moving in daylight, then you pounce on that. Then you hunt him hard for the next day or two. And then he's probably gone again if you don't kill him. And then maybe he shows up a week or two later. And if you get some kind of intel that he's back, then go hunt hard for another day or two. And that was because I want to try to balance. Like, I want him to drop in, but at the same time, I don't want to be hunting it every single day and spooking every deer around. And then he's never going to come through again. So this is kind of where my head's at. And then now we get to early December. And I start thinking you know, that whole strategy I just mentioned to you, that was kind of my game plan. I'm going to like play it careful, hunt if I get some kind of intel. Then I started thinking, you're, you're never going to get a chance like this again. Like this is a once in a lifetime chance. Is that strategy everything you could possibly do? Or is there more you could do? Like what, what is, this is me talking in my head. I'm talking to myself. I'm like, where do you think this buck lives? And I say to myself, well, he doesn't live on the property I can hunt. He probably lives in this area maybe, or this area maybe, or this area maybe, based on these different preseason sightings or winter sightings and all that kind of stuff, where I found the shed, where I saw him in January, where I saw him in the summer. He might be over in that spot or that spot. And I was like, you know what? I need to go to him. I need to, I, Rather than waiting for that buck to come to me, maybe I need to go to him. Maybe I've got a chance to hunt some of these other properties. Now, over all these years I've hunted in this general area, I've asked for permission on a bunch of different properties, and most of them have been no's. But I thought, well, maybe it can't hurt to try again. So December like 6th or something, I'm thinking, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get some new permission. So I called one landowner, and I stopped by one other landowner's house. That landowner was not home. The other landowner didn't answer. Um, so I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to keep, you know, maybe next week when I've got some more time, I'm going to try these folks again and just see, even though the chances are low, maybe, maybe I can go out 
for December. It's been a no for October, November. Who knows? Maybe nobody hunts in December. Maybe they'd be okay with me going out there a couple of days, something like that. And for context, like you've shed hunted on some of the neighbors before, or a neighbor? Yes, I do have shed hunting permission on a handful of different properties in the general area. Some neighbors, some that aren't neighbors, but in the general vicinity. Um, so I, I have had some shed hunting permission, but not hunting permission on a lot of these spots. So, so that's where it's at. I don't end up getting any extra hunting permission. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to continue this observation and... The morning of December 7th, 7th, I'm doing a little bit of this observation, and I spot a big-bodied deer out in the edge of this field in this tall grass on the edge of it, pull up the binos, and unbelievably, it's Frank. And right away, I was like, holy smokes, he's back. It's daylight. He's out there. Um, I'm hunting tonight. Changed all my plans got to hold my wife. It's like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not, we're not doing dinner tonight. I'm going hunting tonight. Uh, Frank's out there. I could watch him. I watched him walk the edge of this like tall grassy stuff. And he was standing with a doe and then survivor comes walking up. You guys might remember this buck. I've been calling survivor. He's a, he's originally thought he was a four-year-old. Now I think he's a three-year-old. He comes walking up to Frank and this doe and they actually start to spar. So Frank pushes Survivor off, spars him, spooks him away, and the doe goes running away, and then Frank goes chasing the doe. So Frank is bird-dogging a doe now. It's December 7th, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is like some second-rut action. You know, maybe there's a doe that came into heat the second time around. Frank's on that doe. I then watch him proceed into that food plot system. There's the same food plot system where I got a picture of him in 16, same spot where I had all these encounters with him earlier in the month, well, the month prior watch him walk past the poop blind again, um, feed in there, and then kind of follow that doe back into the neighboring bedding area, this cover back in there. That's all I could see. From my viewpoint, that was what I could see. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I got to hunt in there tonight. I pull up my weather app, I look at the wind, and then my heart just sinks because it's the worst, just about the worst possible wind you can possibly get to hunt in that area. And I'm like, oh, my God, of course. Like, this is my chance, and I've got this god-awful wind. Like, how can I hunt in there without totally screwing it up with this buck in there? So here, let me let me lay out this scenario, right? We, we've, I've kind of talked about it a little bit, but I'll try to paint the picture just a little bit more. Imagine um, you've got the property line from my property that I can hunt and a neighbor's that I can't hunt. On the neighbor's side, so this is to the east side, is a bunch of really good thick cover, and there's a bunch of deer bedded in there. To the west side, the property that I can hunt, is a cut bean field, the north side of a creek, and then on the south side of the creek is where I put in this food plot system. There's a bunch of tall grass, like CRP-type stuff. There's the food plots that I've planted, and there's all this like Egyptian wheat and stuff that I've planted around the edges to provide some like cover from the, the larger fields and the openings and the road and everything like that. So... This blind that I have is on that edge between the beans and the food plot system, and then there's all this tall grass around it. Um, if I wanted to hunt there, which is where this deer passed by and all these deer passed by, um, I had a west-southwest wind. That west-southwest wind would blow right into that big bedding area. If I wanted to hunt the tree stand that I have a little bit farther south, a west-southwest wind blows into that same bedding area. Um, if I wanted to hunt that 
box blind that I have on the far south side, that wind blows right into that bedding area. Everything, anything I can hunt around there would blow into that bedding area that I saw Frank and this doe go back into. So I only had two options. I knew I had to hunt somewhere around there, but I needed to make sure I could get a shot. Now, this was opening day of muzzleloader season in Michigan, so I knew I could go out there with a firearm. And this county that I'm hunting is one of the CWD management counties in Michigan. And what that meant this year is that muzzleloader season this year for those counties is opened up to any legal firearm. So I could go out there with a muzzleloader or I could go out there with a shotgun. So I had a shotgun. I thought, all right, I'm going to go out there with a firearm. I can reach out there a little bit more. So this is going to have a little more reach than I'd have with my bow. Um, so there's one tree stand I have. Again, these are all like edge type spots, right? I mean, over the years, Dan, we've talked about this a million times, how difficult of a time I have here because I can only hunt these edges and I see all these deer back in the cover, but I can't hunt them. Um, so that was the same scenario here again, but, um, but I, you know, I've been trying to improve this little area to make it at least a little bit more secure so that hopefully deer will move in daylight. And, you know, over the years it's worked decently well, right? I had a bunch of encounters with Holyfield. I've had encounters with other deer, um, killed a three-year-old out there a couple of years ago. And now this buck Frank was out there. So, so it was pretty cool to see the impact that this habitat work I've done in a really small little area has worked. I mean, all this stuff, all those encounters that I had with this buck and all but one of the pictures um, was all within like a five acre area, probably five or 10 acres, I guess, something like that. Somewhere in that ballpark, almost all that was in this little tiny spot. So I could hunt a tree stand they had in the far north side of the property. That would be the safest place to hunt because that west southwest wind would just cut like through the northern portion of the bedding area. But this would put me 200 yards away from that food plot system where they were feeding that morning. So I thought, well, that'd be the safest place to hunt. But I don't want to shoot. I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't shoot 200 yards with a shotgun. I thought 150 was my max range I was setting. I'm not a big gun hunter. I've, I hunt very rarely with a gun. I practice out to that distance, and that was that was my comfortable range with that gun. So. I wouldn't be able to shoot him if he came out back into that same place that I saw him that morning. I'd have to hope that he would come out into this bean field and hopefully feed out there with a doe. My, my theory was that my, if this was going to work, that doe that he was with was hopefully going to come back out in the evening and he would hopefully follow that doe. So I, that's why I wanted to hunt back in the same area. But I thought given where she went in and given that, that a lot of deer had been feeding that food plot, this food plot, I've got a bunch of brassicas like turnips and rape and kale and stuff like that planted in there. So it's great late season once you get this cold weather. And so there's a bunch of deer feeding it in the morning as they all transitioned back to bed. So I was thinking in my head, it's most likely that these deer are going to come out into that food plot first, feed into that food plot for the first part of the night, and then maybe then they'll transition out to the, to the cut bean field possibly. So I, I, that was like where I really wanted to be. I wanted to be tight to that plot. But with that west-southwest wind, if I hunted tight to the plot, the whole bedding year scenario I just laid out for you would screw me. But I kept thinking, so I could hunt that tree stand I mentioned, or I could hunt the poop blind. The poop blind, that west-southwest wind... <laughs> I know, right? Um, with the west-southwest wind, it would blow out the northern portion. Like if you imagine this bedding area is like a square and you draw a line down the middle of it, like a horizontal line cutting it in half, the northern portion of that bedding area would get blown out. The southern portion would not get blown out. I saw the doe and Frank go into the southern portion of the bedding area. So 
I had to sit, I was, you know, that whole morning, I'm debating back and forth with myself, looking at maps, thinking this through, texted a couple buddies, like, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking this, what do you think? I'm just trying to think through, like, do I do I sit in the poop blind, which is riskier, but it presents me the best chances of a shot if he's in the southern portion. But if he's not in the southern portion, then I'm blowing him out of there before I even get a chance to see him. So, or do I sit there, or do I hunt the far northern tree stand, which which relatively safe? There's a low probability of him winning me, but is he going to come out to within shooting range? I don't know. Much less of a sure thing. So, ultimately, after debating this all morning and into the afternoon, I decided you got to swing for the fences. Like this is the kind of situation where you got to try to kill him now. And what are the, if 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 he is bedded in the southern portion of the bedding area, which is Based off what I know about this area, based off where he went into, based off what I've seen, that is the most likely thing. Based off how he's come the past couple times, you know, in early November when I saw him come out into this area, all but one of those times he came out south of the creek. So using all that intel, using what I saw that morning, I made a calculated bet that he most likely would come out to the south into that food plot. And if that's the case, I needed to be in the poop line. So I went and I washed all my hunting clothing again. I had washed it just like six days earlier or something, but I washed every piece of gear I had, took all that gear, put it in an ozone box. I crushed or, you know, ozoned everything um, to do that. I sprayed down everything a bajillion times, all sorts of scent eliminating spray. I took the scent-free shower. I made sure, like, I, I took all of my scent control procedures, like, to the umpteenth, like any any corner I might have cut in the past or any tiny little thing that in the past maybe I didn't do just right, I tried to make sure I did it perfect this time. I was just thinking, man, like this is this is super risky. There's going to be deer that are going to be downwind. Anything you can do to reduce the chances of deer winning you, you got to do. So I just like went OCD to the 10th degree that afternoon. I charged my Ozonics unit and my old Ozonics unit. So I had two Ozonics units that I charged. I took every every trick I could possibly think of. I'm thinking, like, this is my one and only chance probably with this buck now. Um, you got to make it count. So I do all that. It's like 2 o'clock. I'm like, I'm going get to get in there um, 2 o'clock. I do a really long roundabout route to get in um, so that this west-southwest wind has as, as – as, small of a chance to blow into that bedding as, as possible. So I approached from the north. I brought hip waders in, got to the creek, put on my hip waders, and then waded the creek for ways till I got to the back of this blind, crawled up, hopped into the back of the poop blind. It seemed appropriate that if I was going to kill this buck, I should kill him from the poop blind where, you know, the most momentous portions of these experiences happened. So I get in there, get all set up, get two ozonics units up there. I sprayed some nose jammer, made sure everything was situated well, adjusted the windows, um, looked around me, tried to think through every different scenario, thought through where, you know, based off what I knew, where I most likely thought he might come out, adjusted my seat so I was real far back. So I'm all situated there, and uh, the first hour or two goes by, and there's like nothing moving around me. Nothing coming out to the south of me where I'm hoping these deer are going to be feeding the plot. Nothing to the north of me in this bean field. Um, and I'm thinking, man, your wind's just blowing out that bedding here. Like, I, I would never do this otherwise. Probably all the deer were in the north. They've all winded you. Your scent control sucks. You're a stupid hunter. You made a bad decision. This isn't going to happen. <laughs> and then I start seeing there's, there's another field. Like, there's this little, like, this, there's the food plot system. 
And if you go farther south, and there's a strip of timber where I had that, you know, run and gun setup I did that almost worked out. Uh, that's where the saddle hunt was that other day. Um, there's that thin strip of timber, and then there's another field south of that. I start seeing deer piling into that field. Doe, 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 little buck, little buck, two-year-old buck, two-year-old buck, little buck, doe, 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 big buck. Pull up my binos, and there's Tran, this nice three-year-old that I've been seeing this year, like a pretty darn nice buck. He's out there feeding. And then I see Survivor pop out there, the other nice three-year-old out there. And then I see another two-year-old. So, like, every deer I know is all feeding out in this other field, like 300 yards away, 400 yards away, something like that. And in my head, I'm just thinking, man, of course, everything's out there tonight. You're sitting over here. If every, if every deer is piling to that, that's probably where if Frank's going to show up, that's probably where he's going to show up. Like there's, there must be a hot, maybe that hot doe is over there. That's why there's so many bucks. Like an abnormally high number of bucks are all out there. I see bucks chasing around and thinking, man, there's that hot doe. He's pulled every buck in the area. She's pulled every buck in the area. I keep on every deer that comes out. I'm glassing, just thinking it's going to be Frank, but I don't see him. Um, but I keep thinking if I see Frank over there, I'm going to sneak out of the blind and belly crawl. Like I can't go walking that way. Like they're going to see me, but maybe I could sneak out of the blind, get on my belly and belly crawl for 200 yards or something. And maybe be able to edge my way up to the edge of that piece of timber. Maybe we'll get a shot at something that, that way, but I never do end up seeing Frank. So I never do that because if I, I didn't want to make that move then because then I would be blowing everything out. So that would basically be ruining my original plan. If I did that, well, that takes me to like, I don't know. 10, 15 minutes before the end of the night. At this point, I thought, well, you tried. It didn't work out. Either he was in the bad area, the bedding area, and he winded you, or he's going to go out into that south field while his other deer, and it's just, it wasn't meant to be. It, uh, you tried. Real quick, before moving on any further, I want to take a quick pause for a moment to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties and to mention their Land Beat video series over on their YouTube channel. If you're looking for some quick, helpful tips from some of the most well-rounded whitetail management experts out there, the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel has got you covered. These guys, their land specialists, really know what they're talking about when it comes to buying and selling land, when it talks to hunting deer, when it comes to planting food plots or managing deer herds or butchering deer or improving timber stands or planting fruit trees or all sorts of stuff like that. They've got you covered. So after this podcast, I'd highly encourage you to head on over to the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel. Check it out. Like I said, lots of great information and some great hunt film uh, type things as well. So hopefully you can take a look and enjoy those. And the other final thing I would mention on a very separate note is related to Wired to Hunt merchandise. All right, Over the last six to seven months or something like that, people have wondered, why doesn't the store over on wiredhunt.com work anymore? Where's your gear? Where are your hats? Where are your shirts? Where are your decals? Well, that stuff now lives over on themeateater.com. That's where my new content is, and that's where my merchandise is now too. So if you want a Wired Hunt hat, if you want a Wired Hunt t-shirt, if you want a Wired Hunt sticker or decal, that's where you can find it. And for now, right now, which is December 13th through Christmas, so December 13th through December 25th, 2018, we're going to give you a 20% off discount on all of that Wired Hunt gear if you use promo code WIRED. That's W-I-R-E-D. Figured we'd run a whole bunch of nice little promotions here on Christmas. I told you last week about the deal with First Light. This week, we're going to run something with Wired to Hunt to thank you all for supporting this podcast and what I've been doing 
can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So get 20% off if you want to try out one of those hats or shirts or decals with the promo code WIRED. Just go to themeateater.com, head over to the shop, and you will see it all there. And then so were I, you getting frustrated at all with this buck? I mean, did you even have time? Because it sounded like you were pretty busy throughout the fall to let this buck sink in like... I don't know. For me, I've I've been obsessed with a couple of deer over my hunting career where I was almost had blinders on. Everything in my life revolved around this particular, you know, said particular buck. Did 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 it get to that point with you? You know, it, in, in in fits and bursts, like during that week or ten days during November where he was around during that period. Yeah, like I was obsessed. I was freaking out. I was seeing him every night. I was sitting over the maps, like going back and forth. Where should I move? What should I do? Blah blah. But then after that week where he was around and now he's disappeared again, then it was kind of like I was always thinking about it. And oh, I mean, I, lots of times going out there to glass this area. I glassed a lot. I didn't hunt a bunch, but I was glassing a lot. Um, every evening I could get away every morning. I could be, you know, looking from that hill. I was doing that. Um, so uh, yes and no, I just didn't feel like there was a super high chance he was going to be out there. So it was always kind of like, I was just hoping like crossing all my fingers and toes, like, gosh, I hope I get lucky and he shows back up. But I didn't have this like feeling as it was with Holyfield in the past years where I thought like, I know he lives around here. He shows up so often. So like every time, you know, he's out there. I just need to happen to be there. This time I was like, well, he's probably not, he's probably not there, but maybe. So it, and it was a, it was a shorter time period too. Right. I only really knew and was hunting Frank actively from, you know, Halloween on till December 7th. So it was five weeks of being obsessed with this buck versus, you know, three years with Holyfield. Right. Um, so it's different, but still it was really intense because it wasn't just, you know, it was, it was, it was, he was a mature buck. You know, I'm always, I always get excited and ramped up and stressed out when I'm hunting a mature buck like that. But then it was also like realizing that this is an incredibly rare mature buck and a very rare opportunity. Um, so that added a different level to it for sure. And um, Mark, like with this hunt, I, I think we know what's going to happen in the last 15 minutes of the hunt, but you had <laughs> another trip plan shortly after that where like if it didn't happen with frank here soon you just might not literally get a chance at him because you wouldn't be there yeah well i had a trip just before this so i had been gone in northern michigan for a while and then yeah and then right after that i had to go to montana which is where i'm right now so yes i had i i had trips that i had to do bracketed on either side of this encounter um that really severely was going to limit my overall hunting time here um so yeah I mean, my, my opportunities are really slim. Just got lucky that I happened to be looking out there that morning that, uh, that he showed up and that I had the flexibility of my schedule to be able to hunt that night. And, um, and yeah, so this hunt though. So after I saw him that morning, then my stress level and nervous level and excitement level just went to like 2000%, right? Sneaking in that night. And when I got settled in the blind, I mean, talk about like the nervous butterflies. Uh, we've talked about this in the past, Dan, but you know, there's, I have two, there's two different types of hunts for me. There's those hunts when you go out there, like you're hunting because you've got a day to hunt, um, or you, you know, whatever it is, maybe there's just, you know, maybe you're hunting every day of the week cause the rut or something, but there's certain days when you go out there where you feel oh, I'm in a decent spot, but you've got, you're, you're excited to hunt, but it's nothing extra special. But then there's right. those days when it's like a killing day 
where all the conditions are right or you have some piece of intel and you just feel perfect like you're in the right spot at the right time like everything's lined up i have certain hunts when like it's always when i'm showering (laughs) when i'm showering before the hunt and one of those days is when it usually hits me like i get these serious butterflies i'm like oh man like you just get this different level of excitement and anxiety and like something like there's like a tingle and you're just like man this is like one of those hunts so that's how i was feeling for this hunt but then this added level of like of of nervousness because i knew it was a risky sit because where i was going was like it was like 50 50 i'm blowing out half of the area and i'm hoping he's in the southern half but i'm doing it because i it's 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 you know hit the home run or or go home with the loss that's basically what was happening here so that was my mindset as this is all happening gets to the last 10 15 minutes of the night i see a buck working the way through the timber from that field where all the deer are feeding i see a buck coming down through the timber towards me pull up the binos it's that buck tran tran comes out and three other dink bucks they walk from that original field they come to the plot and start feeding in the plot in front of me so i'm like okay and these are the first deer that had come out now there's a button buck that had been out there earlier but that was it so i'm like okay well there's something coming out here that's good and then it was cool that tran came out like this is really nice three-year-old he's a pretty nice buck like in previous years i would have shot this deer um, especially as he came walking, I'm like, geez, he, he looks better than I thought from like the longer distance observations that I'd seen him. So I had this like, man, that's cool. Like, yeah, Frank, it's not happening, but really cool to see this buck up close, like 50 yards easily could have got a shot at him. He sat there feeding for a long time, like really cool encounter with this deer. So, you know, right off is, is a nice hunt that's happening. Now it's down to like, I don't know eight minutes left of shooting light or seven minutes. I keep looking at my clock on my phone, checking what the time it is. Now we're down like the final handful of minutes. And I remember thinking, all right, you know, I'm in this bail blind and in this bail blind, there's this really small windows. So you can kind of just see what's directly out in front of that bail blind. You can't really see well to either side. So I'm like, I want to kind of peer to the side and just see if there's anything like tight to these corners. So I drop down out of the chair onto my knees and, and almost stick my head out the window to look far to my left. And when I do that, I see a doe. And this doe starts walking out through this tall grass towards the plot. She stops and she looks behind her. And in my head, I just like, oh, yes. Like, you know, you know that when the doe, you're hoping there's a buck following a doe and then the doe stops and looks behind her. I mean, what do you expect to happen next? Right? Yeah. Here comes the buck. So the doe stops. She looks back. I look behind her and here comes another deer and it's another doe. I'm like, ah, all right, that's it couple does coming out so they walk out to the food plot they get in there they stop and they both turn back and look where they came now i'm thinking ooh, maybe maybe and i turn my head and look to the left and looking looking and then here comes another deer and boom like picket fence huge buck walking and it just it was just like holy crap this is happening like this is happening right now he's in range he's on the property i can hunt i can shoot him right now like holy shit this is happening and it was just in my head right now. I, I I want just like right now. I was like I wanted to ask or I wanted to say like it was like nervous or something. But there wasn't anything. Like, there wasn't any kind of like rush of excitement. It was almost just like okay, go like business. It was just get the gun. So I remember like I saw him. That's him. Reach for the gun. I'm on my knees still. Then it's get the gun out the window. And then I remember 
usually what I, what I was planning on doing is if I was sitting in this situation, I would rest my elbows on my knees and be able to get a, a solid rest to shoot. But in this case, I couldn't do that. So I tried to rest my gun on the fabric of the window and that wasn't working really well. So I kind of pushed the fabric all the way down till almost it was on like the metal bar. I couldn't quite push it all the way down, but I pushed enough that it was enough resistance. I had a pretty solid rest. And then I pull up the gun and I look through the scope and it's zoomed way, way out. Like the last time I'd used this gun, I was up at our Northern Michigan property and you can't see more than like 40 yards. So I had the, the scope zoomed way out. So now I look down at the gun, but because I'm in this bail blind, very little light can come in there because all the windows are mostly closed. So I just, I can't see the numbers on the scope. So I try to spin the power dial, you know, on the scope, tried to zoom in, but I didn't know which way to zoom it. So I just spun the dial, pulled up the gun again and realized I'd zoomed even further out. So then I pull the gun down again, spin the dial the other direction to zoom in, get it up. Okay. Now I'm dialed in. And I'd looked at my, you know, I, I pulled it up. He's there at the edge. I remember thinking this is all happening in the course of, from the moment I saw him to the moment that I had the scope, right. You know, this has all happened in like 15 seconds or something. I don't know, 20 seconds. I pull him up from the scope. I can see him, but I can only see him from the neck up. Got him in the scope. He takes one step, two step, three steps, four steps, passes out of the tall grass and stands right there at the edge of the plot, kind of looks around and, and, and there he is, 70 yards probably, give or take. Put the crosshairs on him, boom. I remember thinking in that shot, I just remember seeing like I just remember in my head like registering that looks like a hit. I don't I don't remember exactly how to articulate why I thought that. I guess I think there's like a certain like impact that it kind of feels like when you see a deer get hit like you've seen enough deer get hit with bullets on TV shows or like I don't gun hunt a whole lot so I haven't seen this personally too terribly many times. Um, but I, I could just tell it looked like he was hit and he he just bolted right away. It was like boom running away and I remember thinking his tail was not up like his tail was down and he was bombed away immediately and I could see him for like a second and a half and he was gone behind trees and that was it and then in my head I'm like oh my gosh was that a good shot did I hit him did I did I rush it was I rested well enough uh what just happened oh my god I just shot Frank um and I just texted a couple friends and my wife I was like I just shot him <laughs> and um and then, you know, it wasn't even like, I didn't even have like a, a rush or like excitement or anything. It was just like nervousness. Like, oh my gosh, did I, did I just have the most incredible thing happen or did I just blow like the one opportunity I have? I didn't know what to think yet because it just was, was so fast and I couldn't see, I couldn't watch him for very long to like know whether or not it was a hit. It was just like gunshot and he's gone. And, uh, I texted you, Dan. And then you got really mad at me because I didn't tell you anything more for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who who does that? Who's like, I shot him and I reply thinking, OK, maybe we're going to have an active conversation right now. Like, hey, what do I need to do? You know, like what friends do. But no, then <laughs> then blackout for like an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, it was like I texted you. I texted my group text, um, you know, Corey and Furter and Andy and Dustin, all those guys, group text, those guys told them and I texted my wife and then, um, then I was like, okay, I, I just need to sneak out of here. And then I was just like, so kind of worked up with it all. I just, it took me a long time to get everything packed up. I was just kind of like fumbling with things and got everything packed up and got out of there. And after a while got home and I remember going inside and my wife like, you know, came, give me a big hug and a kiss. She's like, Oh my gosh. She's like all excited. And I'm like, 
don't get excited. Like, don't get excited yet. I'm not excited yet. Um, I don't even want to like act like I'm excited yet. I just like, I'm just nervous. <laughs> um, and then, so I'm waiting for all my friends to come over. Cause you know, we, you know how it is. Like if you've got buddies, you always want to go on recovery together. Like that's a really fun moment and experience to share with each other. And this year, all my Michigan buddies, no one had killed anything in Michigan. So we hadn't gone on a single track job together. No one had yet. And now finally we've got one down or we hopefully have one down and we're here in Michigan and it just happens to be the biggest buck that any one of us has ever been able to hunt in Michigan. Um, I take that back. My buddy Dusty shot a state record a long time ago. Um, but that was before any of us were, were really serious about this stuff. So basically this is going to be like a once in a lifetime opportunity for all of us to get together. Um, so, uh, I guess I'll fast forward through all this. This isn't too particularly interesting. Basically, I waited around for three hours before everybody could get there. Very nerve-wracking three hours. Drink a beer or two. Talk through the story. Tell the story a thousand times to each different person. Try to eat some food. Can hardly eat a single piece of pizza because I'm so nervous. Finally, everybody gets there. We head out. We go to the shot um, where the impact site was. And you know, I'm still just nervous. I don't even know if I hit him because um, I hadn't gone and checked the impact site. I just wanted to scoot out of there without just – I didn't want to get close to it at all, just in case. Um, so now we get to the point of impact right away. There's blood. And uh, blood, blood, blood. we gone 5 yards, 20 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards. And then I remember, like, we'd slowed down because there wasn't a whole lot of blood now. Like, there was a great blood trail in the snow, and then it slowed down. And then we just kind of um, – we're looking around kind of all directions. I remember standing kind of upright with my flashlight. I just started training it out in the distance a little bit. And then, man, there it was. And I just, I think I said, uh, guys, we got him. Uh, we got him. <laughs> like, it just, it wasn't even, I don't know. I just couldn't believe it. It was just, uh, it was surreal to see that it had actually happened. And we walked up on this deer and, uh, man, I had killed this buck. I, I, great double long shot and he had ran i don't know 60 yards or 70 yards or something that hadn't ran very far at all and there he was um biggest buck i've ever shot biggest deer i've ever been able to hunt in michigan probably the biggest buck i'll ever get to hunt in michigan i do not there's not gonna be another buck like this in this area for a lot forever probably like there there hasn't been a buck like that before very very unlikely it ever will again um so i was just kind of in shock that this thing that i thought was a pipe dream that I thought was not going to happen because I missed those opportunities. This thing that I was thinking in my head was a once in a lifetime thing had actually come together. Um, and it was, it, it was just kind of just, it, I didn't, I couldn't process it at the moment. It just like, didn't seem real. Um, and that was that, I mean, that was, that was the long, that was my long drawn out version of the story of my hunt for Frank. I mean, it, it was, it was a three year hunt. Like I had known of this deer for three years, but it really wasn't until the last five weeks that I really was hunting him. Um, uh, so it's kind of weird in that I, I kind of knew of this deer, but never really thought that I could hunt him. Um, and, and somehow it all kind of miraculously came together like this in a, in a really, really cool way. So my question to you is it's a big mature buck with a big rack on his head what does that particularly mean to you well um it it any killing any mature buck in michigan 
means more to me than killing a mature buck anywhere else. Like I view Michigan as the hardest place I hunt. Of all the states I've ever hunted, this is the hardest place to hunt. The toughest place to, to get mature bucks, to get within range of mature bucks, to see mature bucks, to hunt them. There's the fewest um, of the place, the different states. I've hunted, I don't know, 10, 12, 10 different states or something like that. Um, so I've always thought to myself, like you kill mature buck here, it is, it's worth it just seems like sweeter than somewhere else. So to have killed a five and a half year old buck in Michigan felt amazing. Um, to have killed a buck like this in Michigan just seemed like it. it it's the the rarity of it, like yeah. the the simple fact that this animal is like so so rare in that area. Um, and for this set of circumstances and factors and variables and all these different million different things all had to come together for this moment to have occurred um, and to realize that it's it's something that probably will never happen again that means to me like it's just such a such a unique special rare moment that these things all came together um not to mention, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, incredible animal. Like, as a specimen of a white-tailed deer and, like, the respect and admiration, just how much, like, I love these animals, like, how cool I think they are, how much I love, like, looking at them and watching them and chasing them. Like, he is just, like, I mean, he, he, this buck epitomizes everything that I think that makes white-tailed deer so cool, right? I mean, he was a huge-bodied, mature buck that had survived five years here in Michigan where there's hunters all over the place. Just a beautiful, heavy antlered, tall tine. I mean, like if you if you imagine like that buck that someone draws a painting of that you hang on your wall, this is kind of like that buck. It's the buck that gets painted and gets sold for you know, those, those paintings get sold for five thousand bucks. Like those beautiful paintings, like that deer in real life happened to by some miracle chance show up in real life somewhere I could hunt, and I actually somehow was able to kill him. All of those things lining up just made this like. Like a dream, like a dream situation, I guess. Um, that is just, uh, it was hard to like process and hard to like, to know what to think of it all. And now at this point, it's just, just like a, an overwhelming sense of like appreciation that it happened. Um, and maybe like a sense of awe. Like there was something like, uh, I don't know what it was, but like, like a sense of, of magic. I don't know if magic is the right word. Serendipity or magic or just like, I don't know. There's this weird, just a weird year for me where things fell into place in like a really unique and special way. I mean, it's just been a really, been a, outside of, I mean, it's just been, I've been really incredibly fortunate this year for so many reasons. Most importantly, I, ha I have a son. I have a family this year. And to be able to have all these things happen, you know, as, as, a, as a father now. Um, and getting to share these moments like, yeah, he's young. He doesn't really know what's going on, but <laughs> you know, it's just been special, just special. Um, and this kind of capped it off in like a way I never could have imagined. Um, so it's just been a special year and I'm just not gonna, I'm not going to fail to appreciate that. All the emotions you just described, plus I would imagine like some validation, not just for, you know, the, wired to hunt fans who you know can look at these things as an example yeah i know what i'm talking about and the magazines you've written for and the books that you've written but just for yourself as well uh you know there's like a bit of confirmation there like yeah like all this time i spent thinking about it um all these podcasts that i put together it it can amount to something 
Yeah, I guess I guess there's some truth to that. Um, I mean, it's not and like I know I know Mark that Wired to Hunt has never been like it's never supposed to be the Drury Outdoors and killing giant bucks or Lee and Tiffany killing giant bucks. That's not what Wired to Hunt is about, but it's definitely nice to make this like a part of it and, and put that feather in your hat. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like that's not like people better not get used to me doing this, right? This isn't likely going to be a a reoccurring story that we tell. Um, But, but it's certainly, it's certainly something that when a, you know, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? When you get that gift, you just be really thankful that you got it and um, just enjoy the hell out of it. And that's kind of how I'm looking at this one. Um, and, and, And I mean, it is also, you know, to a degree, I don't want to say like this doesn't like prove anything about me to myself or anything. Like, yeah, I killed I killed a mature buck in Michigan, and it just so happened to be a buck that a lot of people would look at and be like, "Oh wow, that's that's a big buck." Um, it wasn't like I did something extra special to have killed a big buck instead of just a nice buck. I didn't do anything particularly different. It just so happened that this buck miraculously showed up. And I made the right decisions that led to that buck getting killed, plus had some luck too. Um, but this buck just as likely could have been a five and a half year old, 125 inch buck. I wouldn't have done anything different. It just that would if that if that was the mature buck, if he was 125 inch five year old, I would have been hunting him the same way. I would have done the same things, and that's the buck I would have killed. And I would have been super stoked about it. People maybe wouldn't have been quite as like excited about it, but um, but I would have been really excited about it. Um, it, you know, just so happened that this time kind of a freak of nature, special thing kind of happened here. Um, now that said, there were a few things that this experience like illuminated for me or like reaffirmed for me, um, or, or were, were interesting to note one thing, take a look at the annual pattern here. I think this is a really interesting example of the annual pattern thing that you and me, Dan talk a lot about, right? This buck, the only pictures I got of this buck in 2016 were December 9th in that same food plot system. Two years later, I kill him in that same food plot system on December 7th. Interesting. Um, Take a look at uh, what's another thing. This same spot. this 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 is a little bit of validation for me. This is just validation to myself as far as hard work. In that... Some number of years ago, five years ago or six years ago, as I was trying to figure out how to hunt this property, again, I always had these issues with it being mostly just open field, not a lot of cover I could hunt. Then there was this front part of the of the property that just seemed like there was nothing going on there. There was all sorts of deer on the neighbors, but nothing coming out into the spot I could hunt. Um, I'm thinking, how can I make this better? Like, how can I, how can I utilize this front 50% of the property in some kind of way? And I remember I was sitting at breakfast with my buddy, Corey, and I pulled out a napkin and a pen and drew a sketch. I was like, you know what? What if I took this like tall grassy area and carved in like a little food plot system and planted a screen around it and made it like feel secluded in there, but then there'd be like some food that might entice deer out of there. Like maybe that could make this whole area a lot different. And I did that and I've been fine tuning it over the course of these past five years, or whatever, every year making switches, trying to make it better, trying to figure out how to hunt it. All these different things I've tweaked and changed around, added the bail blind a year ago. All that came together now killing this deer with all these encounters. So that was a cool thing. Um, that showed that, yeah, this kind of hard work and it hadn't paid off yet. I killed one deer there and a bunch of does, but I mean, it hadn't 
hadn't paid off as far as getting Holyfield there. Um, had a close call with him there, passed on him that one year. But last year I'd made all these changes that I thought were going to lead to me getting a shot in there. It didn't work out. But now the next year, here it is. Um, I also think this is also another example of like just persistence and perseverance paying off too, right? Everyone knows the long, drawn-out story of Holyfield that never got the conclusion that we all wanted, right? It didn't happen. But this is like a strange like universe saying, you know what, you tried really hard. You worked really hard trying to kill that deer. It didn't work out. But then like the universe gave me a kind of gave me a gift here. Uh I don't know if that's a thing, but it kind of is some weird, like interesting way that that story finished off. That the place where I had my closest calls to Holyfield, the place where I thought I was gonna kill Holyfield, um, that that spot that I specifically worked on for that deer now the next year that deer disappears i'm very disappointed most of this year in michigan was mostly gosh this thing disappeared that story ended all the hard work i put into holyfield was for naught and then this happens and it closes out that story in this this interesting very very surprising way that was interesting another thing that stood out to me was just this year if you compare my 2018 year and, and Dan, I do want to give you an opportunity. I know you got to bounce out of here soon. So if you want to cut me off and, and share any final question or thought for me before I ramble on, feel free to do that. I'll just go for it, dude. Yeah, so then what I'll say is that this 2018 year, it stands in stark contrast to 2017, right? Last year, I didn't kill a single buck. I hunted Holyfield like crazy. I did all these things. Nothing went my way last year. I went to Montana. It didn't work out. I went to Ohio. Had a bunch of things that didn't work out. Ohio. Hunted hard in Michigan. It didn't work out. Now this year, I go to Montana. I kill a great buck. I go to Nebraska. I kill a great buck. I have this great buck in Michigan. Like Everything went right this year. And if I sit and I analyze these two seasons, like if I, if I put them next to each other and I think back, did I work harder this year than I did last year? Not not in any kind of substantial way. I think I, I I put in the same amount of effort both years. I think I made generally the same number of good decisions. I'm not I'm not three mature bucks smarter than I was last year. I'm not three mature bucks better of a deer hunter than I was last year. Um, I think that this 2017 versus 2018 is just a perfect illustration of the game of inches that is hunting mature bucks. You can do everything right in some days or some weeks or some years. The the final little variable or factor just won't go your way. And then you can do the same thing the next year or the next week or the next day. You can do everything right, and then those little final pieces of the puzzle do fall together and do come together, and you do fill that tag. So I think this is just a great reminder to all of us that even when everything's going wrong, if you keep doing what you know you got to do, if you keep working hard, if you keep believing, if you keep trying, things can come together. I mean, I had like the, like if, if you're looking quantitatively, like last year being like the worst kind of year, didn't fill a single buck tag. And then this year quantitatively being like the best kind of year. If we're, if we're just talking about filled tags for bucks, right? Two very different levels of quote unquote success. And I think it's simply that things fell together this way. Um, now, yeah, I did learn some things. I did do some things different. I learned from last year. I did get better. Um, but I still think there was a lot of just, a lot of, you know, I got a little bit lucky this year. I got a few things fell in my favor that last year didn't. Um, and I think when those things happen, it's just a great reminder. And uh, it's also just a great opportunity to, to say, hey, you know what? Appreciate it. Enjoy it when it does happen that way. Um, and I think, I think I don't know, those, those are my big takeaways from all this. Those are the things that stand out. Um, 
and now I'm just very appreciative, very humbled by the by this thing that happened to happen to me. Um, and uh, I'm just going to enjoy it and um, be thankful. So that is where my head is at uh, as far as all these things. Do you do you guys have any thoughts? Congrats. That's all I got to say, dude. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. And I appreciate, you know, your different thought. You know, this is interesting. We didn't mention this, Dan. But so so I saw him the morning of December 7th. Right. And I texted you and I said, dude, I saw him this morning. I'm going after him. To, I'm going to try to kill him tonight. And you texted me back. You said, wait, I should find the exact quote that you said. Um, all right. You wait here two seconds. I'm going to read you what you said to me. I texted you. Saw Frank this morning, moving in daylight, dot, 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 going after him tonight. You said, stop blanking around Kenyon and kill him. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I said, I'm sure going to try. You said, there is no try. There is only do. (laughs) Then then I text you uh, a GIF or a GIF or whatever you say of of Yoda saying, (laughs) he says, he says, do or do not. There is no try. (laughs) And then the next thing I text you is I shot him. <laughs> so you shot him, and then it goes from four forty-seven to me doing multiple, multiple text messages <laughs> to finally you responding to me at like nine twenty. So that's yeah. like almost five hours. Yeah, I'm I'm still a little <laughs> upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said I shot him. You say WTF. Then you say I need details. Then you say you're killing me. Then you say this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> and then I and texted then you, you a picture. A picture. <laughs> and then you said, holy shit, speechless. <laughs> yeah, man, it was nuts. Just a crazy, crazy, crazy situation. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Spencer, do you have any wise words that we should end with or any final questions or anything uh, that we should that we should cover? No. I mean, congrats, Mark. Awesome buck. Awesome season. Uh, that was fun to follow. But, like, what if magically Holyfield and him stepped out at the same time? That <laughs> then what? Man. <laughs> if, like, so if that night, if Holyfield and him both stepped out at the same time, I yeah, think because you, you don't know for certain Holyfield is dead, correct? There's correct. still a chance. There's still a chance, yeah. Okay. So this could have happened. So say they both step out, then what? Man, I do not know what I would have done. <laughs> I think I think I I think I th- I man, I don't know. I think I would have I'd like to think that I would have shot Holyfield. No, wrong answer. <laughs> but you know because like I have more history with that buck. Um I don't know what, but it's such a weird thing because like, either what either one would have been unbelievably special in so many ways. So then it's like then I'd be sitting there. Wait, I don't know. I probably would have. I, this is what I probably would have done. I probably would have froze. I would have paralyzed in the moment, and then they would have walked away. I wouldn't have shot either one. <laughs> That's probably yeah. what would have happened. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, one buck's like a four-year history, incredible amount of ups and downs of that deer. Uh, another buck would have been. Three years of history and a once in a lifetime buck, as far as the rarity of that type of animal. Um, I mean, it would have been, yeah, I would have just froze, panicked, uh, maybe had to go to the bathroom and not shot either buck. That's probably what would happen. So, yeah, I'm glad that didn't happen. 
and maybe, maybe, just maybe, Holyfield is still alive, and now that Frank is gone, maybe he's going to reclaim his old territory, and to the um, to the dismay of the Wired Hunt audience, they'll have to hear about Holyfield for a fifth year. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. So uh, I guess with that, Dan, any final, anything final? Nope. My kids are starting to cry. All right. Go take care of your kids. Thank <laughs> you for taking the time to, to chat through all this. Thanks for all the support and, and uh, ideas and thoughts and, and go get And Spencer, same to you, man. Thanks for all the, you know, a couple of different chats for rut radios where we talk through what's going on and the encouragement and, and, and big thanks to, you know, all my buddies or other people who knew about this hunt, even the folks, even everyone who knew that I was hunting this buck, but didn't quite know um, what he looked like. Everybody was out there, you know, giving me encouragement and wishing me on and crossing their fingers. And, um, I think this is actually just, I, I want to say thank you to everyone out there listening. The, the, the kind words and the support and everything throughout all of my hunts. I just, I appreciate that. Like I really do appreciate every comment you guys leave the reviews you leave, the notes you send me. I don't get to respond to every one of them. Um, but it means a lot. So, so thank you for all those, all those, um, all those words. And I think with that, we should shut this down. And that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Just another quick reminder, we do have that 20% off deal going for Wired Hunt gear over at TheMeatEater.com. Head to the shop, use that promo code, get you 20% off all the Wired Hunt gear. That's Wired, W-I-R-E-D. And otherwise, that's all I got. We'll, uh, we'll get you one more episode before the holidays. Hopefully you're having a great December. Hopefully your hunting season is coming to a to a nice end with a lot of fun a lot of venison in the freezer and a lot of great memories so thank you and until next time stay wired to hunt i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.